So thank you guys for letting me have the week off last Monday night and staying in the Word and then picking up with uh, the first half of chapter 19 combined with chapter 18. And to help us move along and to organize my thoughts about you know these chapter and a half, I did, went ahead and did the did a little handout there. We'll do some fill in the blanks. So just by real quick review, remember back in chapter, uh, in kind of terms of where we are in, in Luke's gospel, chapter nine verse fifty one is where is one of is a huge pivot point in Luke's gospel where it says where Luke wrote. You remember? He did. Jesus said his face like a flint, I think is the King James Version. He he turned, he pivoted and and set his face with uh, resolutely, we're going to Jerusalem. Now, did I ever tell you if I did I was totally making it up, but did I, did I ever tell you the the time the length of time when that from that point, nine fifty one to to where we get to next week, by the way. Actually the end of next week or two weeks from tonight. 19, verse 20, whatever. We get to Jerusalem. Uh-oh. It's, a, it's several, six months maybe-ish? I'm looking at, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, we don't know. But it's, uh, it's relatively short. I'm going to say six months. Somewhere along the way I looked at it, the charts. Uh, Dick, was it you that gave me those charts? Where are you, Dick? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so so that's where we've been on this travel narrative or journey narrative with a lot of different commentators, but most of them that I've seen, they, they everybody recognizes because there's been like three other reminders, if you will, by Luke to say to, that they're headed to Jerusalem. And in fact, we see uh, just looking ahead. Actually, no, we see it tonight. We see it tonight, don't we? We see it tonight. Verse 11, 1911. He was near Jerusalem. He's getting close. Yeah, so next week when we pick it up with chapter 28, that's the beginning of the next section. The final, we'll call it the final section. Jesus enters Jerusalem. Okay, so going back to chapter 18, here's my aim. You see it up there at the top. Uh, the, the fill in the blank is to cause the audience to know what are some obstacles what are some obstacles to salvation and sanctification? Maybe more salvation, but we'll see. I think some of them you could apply to sanctification as well. Uh, you notice my, my uh, section titles, I use the word difficulty, because as I was working through chapter uh, 18, that, that word was prompted or was put in my brain by the rich young ruler... And I guess I was reading the ESV, verse 24. In my NAS here, it says, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. I think the ESV has difficult. Did y'all see that? And I just, that kind of stuck, and I started seeing the, some of these other, Porsche, other passages as difficulties. And one of the, the other reason, the other clue, or the other thing that prompted me to see the, this section this way, is three of these parables. We're interesting in that Luke tells us why Jesus wrote or told that parable. Look at verse chapter 18, verse 1. Now He was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And then um, verse 9, He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And then when you get, get over to chapter 19, we just looked at it, verse 11. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So at least in three of these instances, Luke tells us why Jesus told the parable that he told. He told it to address an issue, which I'm calling an obstacle. In some cases, to salvation, maybe to sanctification. I'm also going to give you some D words. <laughs> Did I? Uh, how does it look on the handout out there? Is it a? Is it just got a D? What have I got? Yeah, a D with a. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. I think. Here we go. So section one, uh, the verse section, the difficulty of injustice, verses one to eight. The D word is discouragement. Uh, in the NAS, that you know, Jesus told this parable that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, not to become discouraged. And what is it? What in this text? What was it that was causing the discouragement? And it was the injustice. That's something I don't think I ever really focused in on in this particular parable. Is that the thing that this widow, the thing that was driving her to keep to pestering this judge? was this injustice that she was, she personally was suffering. And she wanted legal protection. And this guy, what here, I just, this is one of the times, one of the ways that scripture makes me laugh. I just love the, there was a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And so when this guy gets down, verse four, this man says about himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, I just love the repetition that this guy saw himself as Jesus saw him in the parable. Now, the argument there is this is one of these uh, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater that if that if this unrighteous judge who didn't care about God and didn't care about man, if he would respond strictly out of because of this woman's persistence. And give her the justice that she needed, that she required, that she uh, was due. How much more? You know, if this is true, the lesser, how much more, the greater, how much more will God, who, who wants to give us justice, who wants to hear our prayers, wants to answer our prayers, how much more, but verse 8, I tell you, He will bring about justice for them speedily. Actually, when I was studying this back in... Uh, you know, spending some time in the text back probably I think during Christmas holidays and I read this and I was really struck by the, the justice that that was the, the issue the injustice and praying to God for justice and just the 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 or the um, what's the word I mean verse eight is like that's just like a, a promise that is what's the word I'm looking for it's like you can't get around it it's not confusing or anything it's just how much more will he bring about justice speedily? And I was thinking, as I remember reading this, I was thinking, you know, I just I don't really know. I'm not I'm not involved with anybody personally that I'm aware of that's suffering injustice, which says something about my life. Well, I live in a Disney World bubble, <laughs> right? And I was kind of thinking about that, and a couple of days went by, and went, and then uh, one day, just a, a name popped into my mind. 
And it was this man that I know, and it turned, and I just I realized he that guy in his work situation was was for about two years had been suffering. You know, not a huge, not like, but but yeah, I considered it an injustice. He was not being treated fairly, and I just felt like God, you you brought this guy to mind. And I started praying for. Him. I put this verse on my little um, on my computer screen, a little program that looks like a sticky note, but it's not actually a physical sticky note. It's the neatest thing. Yeah. So it would remind me because this woman she kept praying persistently, right? And uh, you know, about after about three or four weeks, this guy uh, I was talking with him, and it turns out. And the issue was his boss and the the senior. He was like a it was like two or three only two people at that point in in his group. They both reported to this boss. Both the boss and the senior person in the same week said they were leaving. <laughs> the boss was taking another position in the company, and the other the other the senior person left the company in the same week. <laughs> he was telling me this, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And sure enough, then the funny thing is, the boss who went to a different position, about three weeks went by, and that per- that boss came back. Something I don't know what the deal was, what happened. But they actually came back to the original position. But in that process, somehow was motivated to review. Because what, what this, this, when, the, when the boss and the main guy both left the department... This guy that I've been praying for was kind of, he was a one-man show for about three or four weeks. And I think what happened is it kind of became apparent. Yeah, he really is doing more work. He's doing work at this level. He'd been paid at this level for a couple of years. And all of a sudden it became apparent that he really is doing a, a you know doing this level of work because he's the only one left. And, it, and the work was getting done. And I just couldn't believe it. I went, Lord, I can't believe you You brought that to mind, motivated me to pray, and then answered it kind of like you said you would, speedily. <laughs> Freaked me out, right? Anyway, I just thought, I just, sometimes I laugh at how God just... God answers prayer. <laughs> so, the principle of prayer is the antidote to discouragement. If, if injustice is causing us to be discouraged, Jesus is saying... Pray at all times so and not to lose heart. Prayer is the antidote to discouragement. Then verses 9, 9 to 14, the difficulty of self-righteousness. And the D word is demeaning. And I get that from this guy, the, the, uh, the, the, the Pharisee. Is he a Pharisee? Yeah, the Pharisee. Look at, look at verse 9 again. The reason Jesus told this parable because there were some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous... And viewed others with contempt. So their self-righteousness was causing them to demean others. I'm just looking for a D word that kind of could go, I could go with. Um, and I ask you to, to, you know, make three observations. Here's the one thing that I've never seen. And how many of you read the NIV? Who, who uses NIV? Couple? You know what the NIV says in verse, um, well, actually, the, the, the NAS kind of says it too. I just don't pay attention when I read. Look at verse 11. So these two men went up, you know, one a Pharisee, one a tax gatherer. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. And, and I think the NIV says about himself, doesn't it? Praying about himself. And in one commentator, again, I missed it.
he had, in verse 11, he, he addresses God. And that's the only time in this prayer that God is mentioned. The rest of the time, he's praying to himself about himself. You know, I do this, I do that, I'm glad I'm not this way. It, it, so that's just a huge contrast. The, the, the tax gatherer, you know, he's beating his chest. He wouldn't even look up. He cried out to God for mercy. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. And I ask you a question about that, and I conclude, you know what? He really meant justified, declared righteous. Just like Paul argues in Romans 4, from the life of Abraham, he was by his faith, he was declared righteous. I think it's what Jesus meant. Um, so, we must recognize our dependency on God for salvation in order to go. Wait a minute, I want to jump ahead. Principle. We, uh, two, so, two things. One, we must recognize our need before God in order to be saved. The one guy did not, the, 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 tax, the tax collector did. And then the second one, thinking too highly of ourselves causes us to think too lowly of others. If we think too highly of ourselves, we'll tend to think too lowly of others. The third div- division, the difficulty of being an adult. The, the key word, my D word there is dependent. Because I think the one thing, the main thing that Jesus is teaching us about, the one thing we learn about children, the thing that Jesus is putting his finger on, and, and if you look at a good cross-reference about this is Matthew 8, 18, 3, a very similar instance where Jesus had children coming to him. And it is that, and so the, the key observation to me was that... Um, Permit the children to come, he says, verse 16. Stop hindering them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't think Jesus is saying all children are saved. I think what he's saying, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So it's those who do not receive the kingdom like a child. And in the Matthew reference I gave you, 18.3 says... Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, that's where he took, brought the child and stood the child next to him. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children, and particularly in that society, were totally dependent on, their, on the adults. They had no standing. If, if the adults didn't take care of them, they were, they were in trouble. Um, you could say that about today, but I mean, we worship our children today, right? We're taking a Burger King <laughs> because you know you you should get it your way, right? And every time I think about that, I don't net, and I won't go into. But I literally on a trip, I have three sons, right? This is some thirty years ago, whatever it was. Drove through three different drive-throughs on our way to. We stopped in Corinth, Mississippi, on our way to Huntsville, and because we want to make sure each child gets what they want. We literally drove through three drive throughs I'm saying. And that goes grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah, that's different. That's different. Grandchildren should be getting it then. No, I'm kidding. All right. All right. So, so we, we must recognize our dependency. Very similar to the, the other one. I'm about the same principle. But just our dependency on God for salvation in order to gain it. The difficulty of being rich, verses 18 to 30. The thing that got me about this one, because we all knew this story. 
was deception. Because here's what I here's what I noticed that I, I'd really never keyed in on before. Everybody p- points out, by the way, you know, this guy comes up, he approaches Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Jesus said, what did Jesus say? You know the commandments. I mean, first, he had the whole thing about why do you call me good? And I think I think that was Jesus was exposing, beginning to expose that man for what was really in his heart. You know, says, you know, no one is good but God alone. And he's so he's like, are you are you saying you think I'm God? Because <laughs> if that's the case, um, this kind of, but so you know the commandments. And he, but he, he names what four of them? Or let's see, one, two, three, four, five. He names five. He left out the first four and the last one. The last one on coveting. And the first four are all about putting God first, having no idols, right? It's interesting the four that Jesus uh, it's highlighted, and the guy says, oh yeah, I got all that, right? Oh, well, you, you just got one other thing then. You know, just one thing you need to do since you asked me what must you do to, to gain eternal life. Just give all your money away to the poor and give it to the poor. And this guy, so I don't think, for example, for my question, I don't think Jesus was saying he wasn't teaching a work salvation that that you know the guy just really needed to do one more thing in order to be saved. He was exposing the guy's heart because what 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 became apparent was the guy loved his wealth more than he wanted eternal life. He came saying, "I want eternal life," but if it's kind of like Jack Benny. Those of us, it's like, you know, your money or your life. And he's, I'm thinking. I'm, <laughs> i got to think about it, right? I mean, you have to be at least in your 60s. Like, uh, I mean, to understand Jack Benny. Um, but but that, this guy, he, and so that's why I said wealth, our material wealth can deceive us into thinking that this life is better than eternal life. And there's a lot in the scriptures about money, the wealth and how how it can uh, how it can it can deceive us. Keep moving. Then verse 31 to 34. You know, Peter says. By the way, I don't know what I was thinking with that question I had about. Uh, I think I referenced verse 26, and it should have been 28. And even still, I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> Is that me? Who's beeping? Not me. Um, but the difficulty of understanding the cross, my D word, there's death. Death. Um, you know, several times in Luke's gospel as well as the other gospels, this, the, the principle of dying to self. We, we saw that was it back in chapter nine, I believe, Luke nine twenty three. Who whoever he who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, take up his cross. That to them was state execution. That meant death. And just the difficulty of, in this case, them understanding that Jesus was saying, I'm going to die. They just could not compute that. And, and we, we don't, it's tough for us to understand death to self, I think. At least do this for me personally. Um, my first diverse question 14, you know, the, the saying was hidden from them. And who did the hiding and for what purpose? My first answer was, God did that hiding and I don't know why. I don't know what for what purpose. Then I read a commentator that I thought, eh, maybe he's got something. That he, maybe he just meant that Jesus was just, that what he was telling them, and he told them before, it was just too difficult. They just could not, even though, even though um, they, the Old Testament, they had the whole Old Testament pattern of substitutionary atonement. 
with the lamb and the scapegoat and the blood and the sacrifice, you know, all that. So in one sense, I tend to think, God, they should have been able to figure it out. But but here they are with this the Messiah, right? And he's telling us, what? You're going to be, what? That, that, that just doesn't fit. Anyway, uh, but but on the on the question, back to my first answer, that God did the hiding. Just some cross references. Matthew thirteen ten and Mark four eleven is those are the two places in the, the after the parable of the four soils, and the, the the disciples ask him, "Tell us what that parable means." And he says, "Well, first, let me tell you this: to you, it's been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to those on the outside." And he quotes Isaiah. I, I give them, I talk to them in parables so that hearing they won't hear, they won't understand. You know, you get, the, you remember that. And then it, we're going to come up in Luke 24, right down verse 16 and verse 31, the last chapter of Luke. The, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It, he, he was hidden from them. They, as to who he was, Jesus, when he approached them. And then in verse 31, he opened their eyes, or their eyes were opened. To know who Jesus was, so there is this, this uh, you know, God works to show us the truth about who Jesus is, and so my principle, the ability to understand the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus, is a work of God. It is a work of God. Thirty-five to forty-three, the difficulty of letting Jesus work miracles. Although I don't think that's the main point of this text. That's just what struck me that that the people, you know, Bartimaeus starts. He he hears Jesus come. So he hollers out, Son of David, have mercy. I mean, they're going, Bartimaeus, come, don't embarrass yourself, right? And at decorum, I just, that's one of my, I don't use that word normal vocabulary. But I checked it out, and sure enough, it doesn't mean, you know, propriety, uh, behaving yourself, acting in a way that's not embarrassing, that sort of thing. Uh, So that's a D word, decorum. But here's the thing that got me. Um, and I, I intimated this in my questions. You know, Jesus comes to him. Um, he's calling out, "Have mercy on me." There's something about Son of David. Because um, the question is, is he saved or not? He's healed, is he? But is he saved? So Jesus stopped in verse forty and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he come near, he questioned him, "What do you want me to do for you?" <laughs> do y'all get the? The irony of like, save my soul, right? <laughs> no. He, he just, I'm blind. Give me my sight. And what, so that's one surprising thing to me in this text. The second surprising thing, or, or the other, is that Jesus, he accepted that. He didn't say, no, that's, that's not what you need. You don't, I know that's what you feel like you need, but what you really need is eternal salvation. He didn't do that. He said, okay. He said, fine. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And my version, my marginal note has that, that that's one word, made you well. And we talked about it back in chapter 17. Go back to 17 real quick. The, the ten lepers. Jesus healed all ten. Remember that? One of them turned and came back. And what Jesus said to that one in verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God. That's a key phrase in Luke, as it, apparently as it turns out. 
One of the indications of salvation in Luke's Gospel is the, the people who are saved glorify God. They give God the credit. And you see that here in the, the tent. This one leper, that all ten were healed, but this one glorified God. And Jesus said, verse 19, Rise and go your, your way. Your faith has made you well. And we talked about how that... That phrase, go, and why you with your finger there, go back to chapter 7, verse 50, which is the account of the woman who came in. Jesus was at that dinner, and this woman comes in. She'd been forgiven, she, and she knew it. She'd experienced the forgiving grace of God. And what did Jesus say to her? This is verse 50. And He said to the woman, Your faith has... Now, it's interesting, the NAS... Same word, but renders it here, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, why would it say saved you as opposed to made you well? In the case of the woman. Because she wasn't sick. Right. She wasn't sick. Not physically. The notes on the NSV, it says saved you. Verse 42. And, yeah, in, uh, yeah. Are you talking about in chapter 7? Oh, back to 18. Yes. Yes. Mine has that same marginal note. And the point is, and so, and if I think back to, again, the lepers, that's the one that really clarifies that this phrase means physical healing as well, but it includes salvation. And the ten lepers, the contrast there, all ten were healed. But this tenth one, the one who turned, he was, not, he was not only healed, he was made well. Your faith has made you well or saved you. He, had, he was saved. Alright, so, you know what my uh, principle there was? There is no formula for gaining salvation. God knows the heart. God knows the heart that believes and repents. And I was talking to Sally about this. They're in Romans in BSA, of course. In Romans, if there is a formula for salvation... It's Romans chapter 10. If you believe in your heart... If, yeah, there's two things. If you believe in your heart that God raised... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead... So it's like two steps. If you, if you confess this and believe this, you will be saved. Right? That's, that's formulaic. Other than that, 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 particularly in the Gospels, and this is just something... Just a point I, I just make that... That it's just not a formula, you know. If you if you do this, you are saved. If you don't do that, you're not saved. And I think when I read through the Gospels, it's not that it's not that formulaic. Yeah, so in this case, this guy he's crying out, Jesus. He said, "I want I want my sight," but Jesus knew what was in his heart and declared him to be saved. He saved him. So let's keep going. Zacchaeus chapter nineteen. I call this the difficulty of being rich part two. How many of you had ever noticed, because my answer to this question I've never had, had noticed that Zacchaeus was within about ten verses of the rich young ruler or the rich ruler. I'd never seen those two that they were together in Luke's Gospel. But it's so key because both were rich, (laughs) but there are some key differences. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He wanted to know on his terms, right? What must I do? Zacchaeus, here's the thing about Zacchaeus. Back to the, and again, my principle for Zacchaeus, exactly the same as 
is uh, for the blind Bartimaeus. There's no formula for salvation. Here's some things I'd never thought about in Zacchaeus. Alright, so Jesus is in, he's passing through Jericho, which is his last stop before he goes into Jerusalem. Zacchaeus, a chief tax gatherer, he's rich, it said. He was trying to see who Jesus was. He can't because he's short, so he goes ahead and he runs up and climbs up the tree. We all know that story. Jesus comes to the place where he looks up and Jesus initiates, right? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Commentators make a big deal about must, the, the, the divine imperative. I must stay at your house. And so Zacchaeus hurries and comes down and received him gladly. And then verse 7, you get the crowd. They're grumbling again about Jesus and what his, his relationship with this, this sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, and here's what, so Zacchaeus, he willingly offered to do with his wealth what the rich young ruler refused to do when Jesus pressed him on it. But Jesus didn't ask this guy. That's what just, I thought, wow. So this guy says, verse 8, Lord, I, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give him back four times as much. I mean, so where in there is, is there anything about, I want eternal life, or Jesus, you know, asking him, do you believe, or... It's just, you come down, because I've got to be at your house today, and then Zacchaeus says, I'm giving away half of my stuff to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give them four times. And then Jesus responds, nine. And so the question of this, Zacchaeus, was he saved? Absolutely. Verse 9, there's no doubt. Salvation has come to this house today. So Jesus answers that question. Today, salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham, and on the surface that sounds like, oh, because he was a Jew. He was saved because he was a Jew. And we know that that can't be the right answer. So we go to Galatians, and we go to Romans, and we learn, what's my cross-reference in Galatians? What in the world is that? Time done? Okay, here we go. You know, uh, Paul in Galatians 3 verse 7 says, Know then that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in Romans chapter 9, Paul makes that statement, not all who are descendants of Abraham are sons of Abraham, or something pretty similar. That there's true spiritual sons of Abraham, those who have the faith of Abraham, even Gentiles who are grafted in. He goes on to talk about it in Romans 11. All right, so finally... Oh, the D... Ah, you're going to love this. And The D is don't have one. <laughs> Literally, I could not think of a D word that captured. So don't have one. That's my D word. Well, three. <laughs> and my principle is exactly the same. No formula. And then lastly, lastly, and this is one of those parables, one of those passages in in Luke in the Gospels, but particularly in Luke, that just it's just stunning. I mean, particularly, and I, I, I described to you, to me it looks like there's an inner parable and an outer parable. Because he's, and again, he sets it up, verse 11. You know, Jesus, he said, while they were hearing all these things, what he's doing with Zacchaeus, then Jesus went on to tell this parable coming up because he was near Jerusalem, right? And he knew that the people were thinking, the kingdom's about to happen. It's going to happen immediately. This Finally, this thing's going to come about. And of course, they had the wrong concept of the way the kingdom was coming. 
And so he tells them this parable. So the inner parable, we'll come to the outer in a second, but the inner parable is this this certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And just the cultural background, the historical background, I didn't know this. Like in Rome, for example, uh, King Herod, Herod the Great, and his son, Archelaus, Archelaus, when they were to give the get, receive the kingdom of Palestine, in, in the case of uh, Great, the, Herod the Great, they had to go to Rome. So that so that they're the noblemen. They're, they're, now, they're analogous to the, in this parable. They're going to be. They're going to be. You know, it's like they had to go get coronated. Does that sound? So they they're going to leave the place that they're ultimately going to be king of. They're going to leave that place and go to the mother. You know, the real king to, to be coronated, to be officially granted their kingship. So they're going to be gone for a while, while that, then, but they are going to come back. So, so these people understood the picture here. They understood the, the, the kind of the, they understood what Jesus was talking about. This idea of a nobleman, he's going to leave. He's coming back as king. He's going to go and get the official stamp, if you will. He's coming back as king. You get that interesting statement. There was so when he leaves, there's this delegation of citizens. They kind of go to the same place to to make their cases. We don't want this guy as our king, right? And then he leaves that. He goes to the inner, what I'm calling the inner parable. So before he left, he calls his ten slaves, hands them a mina, and says, "Do business with this until I come back." So verse 15. So it came about that when he returned. After he received the king, he ordered the slaves to come, you know, give her an account. And they do. And the one guy, I've got I've, my one miner made uh, made ten more. Good, well done. You get ten cities. Next guy, he gets five. Great, you get five cities. The third guy says, I knew you were not a good man. You were unreasonable. What does it say? Y'all, don't y'all, hope y'all go with my very loose paraphrase. Um, you know, I put, I put it away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you. Because you're an exacting man and you take up what you don't lay down and you reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, well, by your own words, I'll judge you, you worthless slave. But you know what's interesting about the worthless slave here? He's not punished. At least not in this parable. Right? He just, what what he had was taken from him and given to the guy with ten. But it's not like he was sent away or to the where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He just... You know, verse 25, and, they, and you know, there was some reactions, some, some master. He has ten minas already, and the masters, I tell you. And maybe this is actually Jesus now commentating on the parable. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, and from the one who does not have, even what he does, even what he does have shall be taken away. Hmm. So, I, so my, in, a, in short, I think he's talking about believers. And, and, you know, my principle, the first principle is uh, Jesus' delay. Actually, the second principle that I'm talking about. Jesus gives His people resources. He gives us resources. And He expects them, expects us to invest them. Our time, our money, our spiritual gifts. We're not just... So, and so the first principle, <laughs> which is... You know, they thought the, the kingdom was about to come immediately, and Jesus tells them this parable, essentially tell them, it's not happening yet, folks, not like you think it is. There's going to be a delay. And so in the meantime, I want you to invest the resources. 
Because Jesus' delay in returning, his delay in returning can, can lull, that's my word there, can lull us into thinking that he's not coming back and that our lives are all about us. I mean, that's, our, that's, that's the trap, particularly in a materialistic, in a prosperous society like we live in. We kind of forget the fact that we're here for a purpose and we're just stewards of all this stuff we own. And God expects us, and, and, I, and I say stuff we own, but again, our time, our effort, our energy, uh, we're, we're to be investing that. But then lastly, back to the outer parable. And this is one of these verses, and I, I, I read the Scriptures and, I, and the Gospels, and I just can, I, you know, it's, it's kind of past, but a few years back there was that fad about wearing a little... A little bracelet, what would Jesus do? You know, WWJD, right? And, and the more I read the Gospels, I think, well, you might be shocked what Jesus might do. And this is one of those places. Because the nobleman in this parable represents Jesus. The nobleman, and, but, and just as a couple of cross references, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, talked about Jesus. Eleven fifteen is the out of the the, uh, the Messiah. The, you know the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of the Lord, and He shall reign forever and ever. You can almost sing that as I say that, right? And Daniel seven is that that picture the son the ancient of days, and was and uh, the one like a son of man was presented before him, and it and to him this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So, so the nobleman is Jesus. And at the end of the parable, that, that group of citizens that did not want Him to be their king. But these enemies of mine, verse 27, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So again, sometimes when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, that's why we read the Bible. So that we know what Jesus will do. Uh, in, in the fullness, you know, a full answer to that question. Rather than just making it up or hearing Oprah Winfrey talk about it or something. <laughs> so the last D is delay. Delay. The difficulty of waiting or the D word is delay. Let me pray for us. Father, again, we are thankful. We are thankful uh, for this word that you've preserved, that you've uh, given to us, and you're th- we're thankful that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We, as we've talked about tonight, even in these in this text, that unless you open our, our eyes and, and open our, our our hearts and give us ears that hear, uh, we would not we would not be able to comprehend. The truth about you, the truth about ourselves, the truth about our sin, and the truth about who Jesus is, we would not come to repentance. We'd be more like, we'd be like the rich young ruler. We just want to know what, what can I do? What's the next thing I can do? So, Father, thank you for, uh, for opening our eyes and giving us the scriptures and teaching us the things that, that you've had for us in, uh, in this portion of scripture. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.